Before we begin, I want to thank the sponsor of Oil & Gas Upstream, Oliva Gibbs. Oliva Gibbs provides clear legal solutions to complex oil, gas, and mineral law issues nationwide. We believe that when we focus on serving people, good things happen in the lives of our clients and employees. We just happen to be a law firm. Learn more at oglawyers.com. Oil and Gas Production is the union of natural systems with advanced science and complex engineering. Smart people across the globe create this remarkable place we call Upstream, and each day brings a new challenge. This is the Oil and Gas Upstream Podcast, where we look at how these systems come together and learn from the people who make it happen. Welcome to Oil and Gas Upstream. I'm Elena Melkert, your host. Some of you know me as the former director for oil and gas upstream research at the U.S. Department of Energy. I retired from the DOE, founded a small consultancy, Energia Consulting, and became a podcast host with the Oil and Gas Global Network. OGGN has launched a weekly newsletter called The Sunday Update. Subscribe to get oil and gas insights, behind-the-scenes looks at OGGN, and coupon codes delivered to your inbox every Sunday. And I invite you to go to the OGGN website and take a look at the new merchandise that's available now. Maybe even pick up the Oil & Gas Upstream t-shirt that reminds us that only the bit finds oil. And now I'd like to introduce today's guest, Tucker Perkins, President and CEO of the Propane Energy and Research Council and the host of the Path to Zero podcast. Hi, Tucker. Thanks for being with us today. Lane, it's nice to be with you. I look forward to this conversation. Oh, it's going to be a good conversation, I can tell. I'm going to share with everyone your bio, which is quite impressive. Tucker Perkins is the president and CEO of the Propane Education and Research Council, PERC. Do we say PERC? P-E-R-C? We definitely say PERC. That's right. We say PERC. PERC is a PERC. A Washington, D.C.-based nonprofit that invests in the research and development of propane-powered innovation, consumer education about propane, and promotes the safe, efficient use of propane through safety training and education programs. Tucker graduated from Virginia Tech with a bachelor's degree in civil engineering and earned his MBA from the University of Richmond. He is active with many industry organizations, including the National Propane Gas Association, the Industrial Truck Association, the Outdoor Power Institute, and the World LP Gas Association. A dynamic and relatable leader who has amplified propane's voice in the national energy conversation, Tucker has been a frequent keynote speaker on energy-related topics on the domestic and international stage. Tucker is also the host of the podcast, Path to Zero, in which he engages energy thought leaders in provocative discussions regarding energy and the environment and the path to zero carbon emissions. Thanks again for joining us, Tucker. We're so happy that you're here with us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You're, are you from Virginia? Is that why you went to um, Tech? And I'm, I'm one of those rare birds that grew up here, <laughs> have really stayed here, even though maybe the last 20 years my business has been outside of Virginia, but it's kind of where we've made our home, and it's a great place, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we moved to um, Virginia about uh, over 30 years ago. We thought we'd only be here for a few years. We came for work. 
ended up having a baby, put down roots, and so we're still here in Virginia. So. It happens. But it's lovely. It's absolutely lovely. I love the seasons. I'm from California. We don't have seasons. So, so what brought you into engineering and ultimately into energy? Well, I always appreciated the value of an engineering degree about just thinking you are teaching you to think maybe differently to be a good problem solver. And I'm not sure when I started college if I intended to be an engineer or not, but I wanted to have that degree. My mother probably would have loved me to be a doctor. My father would have probably loved me to be a better engineer than I really was. But it, it's it's the, stood the test of time. I think if I had to do it all over again, I'm not sure I would do much differently. Um, I was a consultant engineer for a while, again, just to understand what consultant engineers did. But early on, I worked in the natural gas pipeline business, running an LNG facility and building oh, pipelines, wow. designing pipelines, maintaining them, and really got a good understanding of the breadth of the energy industry. And it was just a great basis for kind of moving on in my career. Oh, yeah. And LNG is so important now. It's definitely part of the energy mix worldwide. Absolutely. So um, then the Propane Education and Research Council, how did that come about? Or how did you get involved there? Well, it's a really interesting story that I had been in the natural gas industry for, I don't know, a decade or so and left that really uh, to take a role in the propane industry. So natural gas liquids, if you would. And uh, really parlayed that into a understanding of acquisitions and growing. I think when we started, we were probably a $40 million company. And when we finished, we were a $400 million company. And I really love that entrepreneurial space, but still in the energy business. And right. uh, really at the end of that career, I teamed up with some of my natural gas colleagues and we owned a manufacturing company, manufacturing vehicle systems on alternative fuels. And Perk approached me to run all their business development activities. And originally I said no. And after about the second or third call, I took the interview and as soon as I finished the interview, I knew it was really what I was born to do. And so that that brought me to this Propane Education and Research Council, which is a really interesting group, right? You in your preamble, you talked a little bit about it, but I would say we we don't lobby the for we don't lobby the government. We don't lobby, we don't we don't really uh, deal too much with codes and standards. We really think about the fuel from the user's perspective, trying to make sure that you know, the devices, whether it's a farmer or a, a vehicle driver, a forklift operator or a builder, that how they are using propane is the best it can be used, that they're well trained in the features and benefits. And then we train the industry, making sure that they know how to install things safely, uh, making sure that people who touch it, plumbers, HVAC contractors, auto mechanics, that they too are well trained. And it's, it's really been a rich experience. Kind of takes all of my uh, interest and enthusiasm to be able to deliver it. We have a team of almost 40 people, a lot of scientists. Because this last version, you know, the last four or five years has really been kind of a war, if you would, against fossil fuels, whether they're clean fossil fuels or not. And right, I'm, right, I'm right. quick to say that, you know, fossil fuels aren't all equal. And electricity... <laughs> isn't necessarily good, right? Electricity that comes from coal, oil, and wood is dirtier than coal, oil, or wood. And so it's been a really interesting probably five years 
to begin to try to engage in this conversation about how do we get to a cleaner climate? Absolutely. And, um, you know, the cha- it's a challenge because it's hard to talk in sound bites. It's hard to educate in sound bites. You really need to have an understanding of the context, the landscape, and then the particular scenario. I mean, when we talk about propane, I don't know that a lot of people realize just how prolific within our economy the propane uh, commodity is. It's, I mean, it's really important. I think most of us know about um, barbecues, putting it on our grills and, and those kinds of things. Or maybe if you, have, um, uh, if you live someplace remotely, that's your, your main gas supply. Um, but some of these other applications that you talked about, maybe you could share a little bit about that. Yeah, I think even to the traditional oil and gas person, they're thinking about oil or gasoline or natural gas. They're not thinking about these byproducts, particularly that come off that NGL side, propane and butane. And so so propane is vital to so many, uh, not only so many people in America or North America, but so many people around the world did a quick study once. And, you know, a lot of facts are known. 50 million people rely, 50 million households in America rely on propane for something. 5 million rely on it for primary heat. Um, Forklifts are almost all either battery electric or now propane. So we're, we're powering vehicles around the world. In fact, behind gasoline, diesel fuel, uh, and then I guess ethanol, I mean, uh, meth- uh, excuse me, ethanol, if you want to include it that way, we're the most popular vehicle fuel. And so if you if you go to Poland, highly likely you'd ride in a propane powered taxi. If you were in Turkey, same thing. If you were at the Olympics in Japan, you would have ridden in a Toyota LPG hybrid taxi. So lots of vehicle applications. And really, as we think about it, in many cases, it's arguably the cleanest fuel that you can use. Even in America, in most states, cleaner than driving a battery electric vehicle if we really are intellectually complete about how we make electricity. So vital, vital fuel for really America, particularly beyond the natural gas main, and then for some of those uh, hard-to-store energies like farm, you know, way beyond the natural gas main, but they need a lot of energy. Um, So really vital to America and then developing nations as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, being a clean fuel is so important. Um, I guess I I always um, equate it with a real portable fuel um, and having and being able to cook with it when some of the alternatives in, uh, uh, you know, other countries, for example, 70% of the world is really facing energy poverty. And they and many cook inside uh, small dwellings uh, with not a lot of good ventilation. Uh, with um, they they cook with wood and they cook with coal pieces. They even cook with uh, you know anything that can burn, which has these particulates in that small space and can really hurt people. But you know, with respect to that, there are all, all other cleaner fuels. And of course, as you're saying, propane um, is pretty clean. Why do you say it's the cleanest fuel? The cleanest. Fuel? Well, we actually study quite regularly the carbon intensity of the grid and. It's really difficult mm-hmm. to talk about it on a national basis. Well, I like to prefer 
to think about it really inside the balancing authorities. But we look at the different fuels that go into the makeup of the grid, how much of it is coal and oil or natural gas or solar or wind or nuclear. And then we tend to break that down into the carbon intensity of those components. In the last study we did, uh, propane on a carbon intensity basis was lower in carbon than the grid in 36 states. It's it's shocking. If you don't study the grid much, I am still shocked at how much of the grid is still intensely coal. Some of it's kind of logical. Uh, you know, maybe West Virginia, where you'd think about it, or Kentucky, Wyoming, but it's it's much bigger than that. And so, you know, I think a lot of people seem to interpret us we're not rooting against the grid by any means. I think the grid needs to become more resilient, needs to become cleaner, and probably will become cleaner and cleaner. But as we think about how to get to a cleaner climate, and frankly, one in which we can afford, I think the role of natural gas and propane has been horrifically understated. And as we even think about the matriculation to renewable natural gas or renewable propane, we can make a really coherent argument, particularly in vehicle transportation, generally against diesel fuel to a degree, that finding ways to use more propane and less diesel fuel is great for the environment today and is a really mm-hmm. coherent argument if we think about, okay, probably in 20 years, you'll be using renewable propane, probably zero carbon or negative carbon renewable propane. Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. So, so just for, um, you know, both ends of the spectrum of listeners, let's talk about where propane comes from. Um, this is oil and gas upstream. So we produce oil and gas, natural gas. And so when we produce a natural gas, it comes up to the surface and it goes to a gas processing plant. It's separated from the oil, it's separated from the water, and it goes to the gas processing plant. Take it from there and help us see where, uh, how we get to the propane? Well, so propane would be one of the heavier things in that natural gas stream. And depending on where, you know, when I started in this business, 75% of the propane came from cleaning up crude oil. Today, nearly all of it, certainly 85 or 90% comes from natural gas. Kind of shows you the impact of shale on our energy mix. And some of those shale plays are intensely heavy in liquids. Um, Parts of the Marcellus, certainly each of the different basins have their own characteristics. But over the last four or five years, I think we have really had a a tendency to go find those liquid-rich natural gas streams because it's been the propanes and the butanes that have really been a lot of the economic driver in some of those shale plays. But yet when you, so when you find natural gas, some of it's very dry, and it's essentially all natural gas, maybe some methane. But most of the basins today are producing not only natural gas, but propane and butane as, I would say, a waste byproduct. Nobody went looking for them. But production is uh, it's, it's just amazing how much production is growing. And exports are growing as well. I was just looking at the numbers. Ten years ago, 10 years ago, if we exported a million barrels a day, it would have been headlines in the industry. I think last week, two days, we exported 2.5 million barrels a day, which which is about the top line of all the facilities. I mean, that represents the facilities humming 
Um, we can't do much more than that. And on a regular basis, we're exporting about 70% of our daily production. So the world relies on this U.S. propane as well. In, intensely used in Japan, most of Asia, all of South America. They're looking to the U.S. for their propane. Yeah. And did I capture that correctly? It's mostly for transportation? No, I would say it's mostly for home heating and cooking. Oh. Uh, in fact, in, in America, in we, we consume about 10 billion gallons a year for domestic consumption. And you can think about that in round numbers, about, about a billion gallons for the farm, about 7 billion gallons for residential and commercial uses. And then the rest kind of sprinkled around. Transportation is a big area. Off-road material handling is a big area. I would say this, we're, we're growing significantly now in three areas that I think we didn't see probably five years ago. We're growing in, in material handling. So again, replacing diesel in forklifts, oh, uh, port okay. tractors, a whole host of off-road equipment, certainly on-road transportation. School buses are a big topic, but a medium-duty, heavy-duty trucks. Nothing about light-duty cars. I think they're going to be electric, but medium-duty, heavy-duty transportation. We're in a wonderful partnership with Cummins. That engine will get to the market in a few years, and I think it's going to revolutionize transportation. But the last is power generation. Um, you know, power. the power grid as we know it, is becoming more and more expensive, more and uh, more unreliable, less and less reliable. <laughs> and right. and then our demands are oh, growing. Oh, we're using so, it so much. <laughs> we're in, we are in so many different projects to provide power, either because people just need to have reliable power, or even the electric vehicle craze. Uh, they, they have a set of vehicles, but they didn't have adequate infrastructure. And now propane-powered power generation is providing a lot of that energy. And we're seeing that across the country uh, in, in really a market surge that we we didn't expect. We, we saw it coming, but it's coming at us far faster and far far taller than we thought it would. Because of the transition? Because people yeah. prefer it? And, you know, I don't ever use that word transition. I say transitions imply something smooth and easy and and this is not any of that. I call this a transformation because I'm I'm quick to say jobs will be lost. I think we're kind of seeing in Europe perhaps maybe countries could be lost, right? I'm not I'm not completely sure how Germany uh fares this. So I don't always push back on the word transition, but you're right because some fleets have just decided that I need to electrify without really a careful analysis of the infrastructure that was needed. Um, and we're, we're in some fascinating partnerships to me where we are providing uh, electricity where they had a need and just didn't have ample supply. Yeah, yeah. So and let me take you, if you don't mind, back to a little bit of the fundamentals. You said when we produce um, natural gas, it comes with a lot of liquids. And liquids to people, most people would think be water, but we're not talking about that. Could you? Oh no, open I'm, that I'm up talking about the people? good. I'm talking about the good liquid, either propane or butane, <laughs> really. But but principally right. propane. And yeah. I, I don't I don't and think so, people understand how much propane is produced in the U.S. We are by far the number one 
producer, and frankly, by far the number one consumer of propane in the world. But the world really looks to the U.S. for that product. Right. And just one last thing. I mean, I'm always sharing with people when I say, you know, gas in your car. I'm not talking about methane. I'm talking about gasoline, right? So we're talking get to some of those terms, sort those out a little bit. So uh, when we talk about hydrocarbons, we're talking about hydrogen and carbon. And we're talking about methane being the uh, a single carbon, right? And then when we have carbon chains, two carbons, that's ethane. And that's a liquid. Is that a gas still? Uh, it can be either depending on temperature and pressure, but it it's much happier being a gas. So ethane, okay. Okay. ethane is generally uh, going to be harder to liquefy than natural gas. Okay. And then the third carbon, we have propane. That's right. where we are. And that is liquid, right? That's happy to be a liquid, yes. Happy to be a liquid. And then uh, butane. And when you say happy, you're saying it's um, easier to put it into the... Yeah, so the boiling uh, point of propane is minus 44, where the boiling point of of butane is 32, I guess, or thereabouts. Mm -hmm. So propane, that's really what makes it a wonderful fuel, other than doesn't doesn't contain uh, any greenhouse gas issues, right? That's kind of an oddity of chemistry. It's happy to be stored, transported as a liquid in relatively low-pressure devices, but then we generally use it as a vapor. So um, when we can move it around easily as a liquid, but then we can consume it as a vapor. So we have great uh, storage ratios, if you would. Right. And for people who are not familiar, contrast that with um, LNG, so LNG, to a degree, is that is that same thing. It's natural gas that's hard to liquefy. It's methane. Right. It, but So natural gas is wonderful, but generally when you open up, I always am amazed when, when I open up my burner uh, on the, my range in Richmond, Virginia, I'm completing a pipeline that started probably somewhere west of Texas, really, right? It mm-hmm. comes always a vapor where mm-hmm. LNG is able to be cooled. I mean, it takes a lot of energy to cool it, but once you cool it, you can liquefy it, and then you have all the benefits of a liquid soap for transportation. So that's that was that's what we transported to Europe last year when Europe was woefully short natural gas. We liquefied American natural gas, and it made it easy to transport. Um, right. and, and really, so pro- propane has a lot of those same features. It's just much easier to liquefy and much easier to, to keep in a liquid state. Yeah, yeah. And and thank you for sorting all that out for us because we do use imprecise terms when we are, you know, sharing with people who are outside of the oil and gas industry and we we, we and even outside of the energy sector and we just take I take for granted many times that people understand what I'm talking about especially when I use jargon. So, here's our chance to really educate about what is propane and what is not propane. So, well, I I think this is a this is really um, fabulous. You've shared with us sort of the connection to um, oil and gas upstream and 
and uh, that's our show. That's the premise of our show. And we were, uh, and I was involved with research at the Department of Energy before uh, retiring and and doing this. So, and you mentioned recently, you you mentioned briefly that you do research, you do analyses, statistical analyses, data analysis, data analytics. Is that the the nature of the research, or do you actually do research? No, we really uh, are all the time studying. well, we do a lot of data research, trying to make sure we understand the data. But I would say our research really is aimed at two things, efficiency uh, and any of the final technology. So you read a lot about gas stoves and their emissions. We've been involved in, in burner research for probably a decade, but trying to make any engine. And we, we think about engines sometimes in just a vehicle or a train, but engines are also in power generators and heat pumps. I mean, so many things. So uh, a fundamental tenet of our research is to make engines more efficient. Because if we can make them more efficient and hopefully make them more durable, we can cut operating costs and cut emissions. And so I I would say for 15 years, a principal research tenet has been to increase efficiency in any engine. In the last... Mm -hmm. Four or five years, it's interesting, I was making a case for uh, propane into the ports of California, and I was really making a coherent argument about this efficient fuel that, you know, fully consumed was very clean, and the people at CARB said, but what's your path to zero emissions? And I went, well, let me, I'm talking about how efficient this engine is and how low the emissions are, and they said, yeah, but what's your path to zero emissions? And I really went back because at the time we didn't have one. I took that to heart. And so the last five years or more, we've really been investing in low carbon uh, pathways for renewable fuels. And now we're really studying zero carbon and negative carbon pathways. And it's, it's really been exciting to see where uh, seven years ago, we just didn't have much of an idea Today, we're producing renewable propane in significant quantities uh, in the U.S., and I think we'll, we'll make those volumes 40-fold in the next two years. So what is that renewable propane? What is that? So the first thing we're doing, wherever we're making sustainable aviation fuel or renewable diesel, so using uh, used cooking oils, a few agricultural products, we can use that same process to make renewable propane. The And we, we have a few uh, non-food cover crops that are being grown now, plants just coming online in California this quarter, uh, where we take some non-food cover crops, combine them, they crush easily into oils, and we can convert those oils to renewable propane. I'm probably most excited about kind of this next step where working with the oil and gas industry, where there's there's a methane stream, we're able to take a methane stream and convert it in a purpose-specific uh, stream. We can take that and convert it to renewable propane. So there's a great example of taking a product that today is escaping into the atmosphere and right. at at relatively small scale and at truly good cost to the end user, we're able to capture that methane and convert it to renewable propane. So this would be uh, fugitive emissions or would it be flares? Yeah, the classic place we're looking, because I think today uh, methane from landfills and 
animal waste is generally moving towards re to renewable natural gas. Where, where we're seeing a lot of promise right now would be in flare gas in the oil fields, um, taking that in a relatively small scale and convert. The beauty of propane, again, is that if once you're able to get to that, it's easy to store and transport. And so we're seeing a lot of promise. And then, I mean, just to kind of take you to the edge of things, we're just now finishing up a pilot project that we've been involved in in Chile, where in the very south, where there's abundant sunshine and abundant water, we're able to do everything that people talk about to make hydrogen, right, to truly make green hydrogen. The problem right. is we're thousands of kilometers away from the people. So how do you train? Oh. Hydrogen is really difficult to transport. So yeah. there we were able to take that hydrogen, uh, blend it with uh, used CO that we recycled. And now we can make a host of things. But one of the things we can make is renewable propane. Now we can store it, transport it, and use it as a truly green propane, renewable propane. So it just... It, it never stops. We're in a project at uh, MIT, uh, which makes perfect sense, of trying to take uh, recycled plastics and turn it into propane, which is generally the building block. Propylene right. is the building mm -hmm. block, of course, of plastics. And then we've right. just finished the first phase of a project at the Illinois Institute of Technology where we're able to, to custom make a, an electrolyzer that makes renewable propane from carbon. So lot, there's so many exciting pathways. I think I, I say often two years ago, we were really working on one pathway, you know, used cooking oils. And today mm -hmm. we're working on 14, each of mm -hmm. which are really past the lab stage and moving into a pilot phase. Yeah. Uh, the one that I'm most impressed with is the notion of taking very small streams like flared gas or emissions, pipeline emissions or whatever, um, equipment emissions, uh, and capturing that and being able to take a, take a, with a low cost, capture it at a low cost and do something with it. Um, and, uh, you know, that's wonderful. That's very exciting because that's a real hard couple of streams to capture and to do anything with. And, and we really we see great promise in that uh, GTI Energy has a process that they have patented. Um, and I don't believe it's going to be the only one that's going to work. Um, so we're really excited. And it has tremendous uh, applications beyond America, right? Think, think about where we can capture yeah. a stream of, of waste methane and turn it into an energy. So uh, the original driver for that was a vision into Africa, really about bringing cleaner fuels into Africa, as you, you alluded to earlier about, you know, clean cooking, something we've been involved in for, right. gosh, ever since I've been in the industry, and where we can document 3.5 to 4 million people die from poor indoor air quality uh, right. just because around cooking with wood, dung, charcoal. Right. So right. Yeah, we're really excited about that process, and uh, we, we think it holds great promise. I I think it does too, and that's very very exciting. I wanted to take a few minutes and have you talk to us about your podcast, Path to Zero, Path to Zero. Yeah, just that's, take a few minutes on that. It has been, as you know yourself, 
it's been a fascinating journey. And sometimes our industry comes to me and says, you know, I want you to, it wanted to be more propane specific, but we never set it up that way. It really was a place to have scientists and social, social workers and you know, talk, climatologists just talk about their field of expertise. And so we talk about carbon capture. We've talked about nuclear fission and fusion. We've talked about meteorology and the climate science, about whether it's, uh, you know, the, the pros and the cons of climate science. A lot about natural gas, a lot about energy equity and environmental justice. So it's just a place, really, no matter what your point of view is, it's been a great place to come and share your expertise. And we're well over 100 episodes now. We're, we're attracting, you know, the best in the field. Uh, to come talk about their area of expertise. For me personally, it's been an unbelievable journey to to begin to get a better view of the totality of this energy transformation that you talk about. Because as you see, I don't think very few people understand even small segments of it. Almost no mm -hmm. one understands the complexity. I, I, I usually spend my weekends reading and by the end of the weekend, I'm so frustrated because everyone's reached for their silver bullet, right? Hydrogen today, <laughs> renewable, you know, electricity tomorrow, uh, right. nuclear fusion. Um, and it's just very few people are able to cut through those sound bites to understand the complexity, one, of the technology, but two, just the, the human factors to execute on that technology. And it's just been a great place to kind of coalesce a bunch of voices um, and really hear from experts in their field of expertise. Well, I really love that you're imparting education on the whole energy sector. Um, propane, I mean, this has been very enlightening. I don't think I realized. I, 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 after we talked, after we first met, I, I had a little bit better sense of it, and I did do a little bit of reading, but now that you're expanding on it, it's, it's really um, fascinating. And I love that you have a show, a podcast, where different voices, the more people understand, the more civil the dialogue is, the more right. we can come together to solve something jointly because, because we understand each other's point of view and the limits and the challenges of that that uh, that understanding. And so bringing this whole story together, I mean, this is the only way we're going to solve it. We're not going to be able to have somebody beat up on somebody else. That doesn't work. That's not lasting. But working together and bringing out yeah, the best, I, think, I think, you know, so many people hope for a cleaner climate but want to believe in a cleaner climate. But the practical applications of getting there, and I know I stay frustrated sometimes by people stepping over something that would work well today more natural gas in lieu of, uh, you know, more gasoline or diesel, certainly more propane in those areas, would clean our climate up today and would do it in a way that doesn't prevent these silver bullets should they appear. But for us just to sit back and do nothing while we wait for hydrogen to become workable or for nuclear fusion to become workable, you know, we're just, we're, we're delaying and every day we delay is is a day that we've lost. And so it's really been nice to at least be in the middle of that conversation um, right, and right. maybe impact the trajectory of that conversation just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll be sure to include a link to your show in the show notes of this, the production notes of this show, uh, so people can really go there. Because I just, I really believe that if people are in, are 
learning, if you're learning and understanding a little more, it's it's frustrating because things don't always make sense and things appear to be contradictory sometimes, but this is the part of the learning curve of getting to a solution that we can all contribute to and not fight about. So I, I think this is really fabulous. I, I so appreciate you being on the show. We're almost at time. Are there, is there anything else you'd like to share that we didn't get to um, during the earlier conversation? I mean, this, there's probably a bunch more you could talk about for propane. You're so enthusiastic. No, I, I mean, I appreciate this time, and I think I'm always happy because I think the conversation has been wrong, right? That that low-carbon fuels like propane and natural gas really do have a role in this energy transformation. They have a role today, and because of their renewable components that are constantly changing and can be mixed. So today you can use natural gas today and 100% renewable natural gas tomorrow, same for propane. So I think you know we really do have a, a role to fulfill in this just environmental trans, transformation. And love, love the fact that you and I can have a, a great conversation about it. Oh, absolutely. Well, Tucker, we thank you so much for joining us um, today. It's been just delightful talking with you. Well, I, I hope one day to have a calm demeanor like yours. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, thank you, Tucker Perkins, President and CEO of the Propane Education and Research Council and Energy Transformationist and host of the Path to Zero podcast. Thank you so much for being our guest today and for sharing all about your contributions to oil and gas and energy transformation. We really appreciate that. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Please give us a review and tell us what you like and what you'd like to hear more about on future podcasts. This is Elena Milkert, your host for Oil and Gas Upstream. More next time. Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Upstream podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.